Hi, welcome to Leadership with Randy. I'm Randy Powell. Today you're listening to Lessons on Leadership, our weekly conversation with inspiring people sharing some of the stories and lessons from their journey. And I knew immediately that there was really something special here. Um, And I think for anyone who's read the book, it's not like these principles are new principles. Like we know what good leadership looks like. You got to listen. You got to communicate effectively. You got to be a good team player. You have to be accountable. Like we know what those things look like. So it wasn't as if there was some like brand new concept that Leif and Jocko came up with, but there was something really special about how they told the story and how they taught it that really connected and resonated with me. Today, I'm happy to be speaking again with Jamie Cochran, the COO of Echelon Front. I've been able to watch Jamie's career grow along with Echelon Front, a leadership training organization established by Navy SEALs Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Jamie talks about what inspired her to make a career change and jump on board a young but promising organization that she realized would help fulfill her own purpose in life. There are awesome lessons of courage, resilience, and purpose in her story that will help inspire us to pursue and be accountable for our own dreams. Let's go hear from Jamie. It's awesome to spend time finally with with Jamie Cochran, who I've known, I guess, um, from a distance for probably six years or so. I think the first time we talked was probably early on in your career at Echelon Front. You hadn't been there long, and uh, I think Extreme Ownership was just out, and we were working together to create an event, and we've kept in touch ever since. And she worked quietly in the background for a while and now she, they got smart and they put her out front. So she's doing a lot of things out front. Uh, so somebody, uh, somebody learned, you know, that that was the, uh, a good move, but um, I'm excited to hear a lot about your journey. I think a lot of people here are probably familiar with uh, extreme ownership and the series of books that echelon front has been part of, and there are really a lot of things that the organization does now event-wise and training-wise. I've had my uh, my Jocko go already this morning, so I'm ready for whatever mayhem you throw my way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to go. So why don't we uh, just start back early in your career to prepare for managing Navy SEALs. You started in music, so... <laughs> Why don't you talk a little bit about that early journey? You're, uh, you know, you were um, in music, and you, uh, your education was in music, and somewhere out of that, you said, "I think I'll go manage uh, uh, high achiever alpha seals." <laughs> what, who uh, inspired you along the way? What did you learn in that early part of your journey, and uh, and how do you, you know, how's that carried to where you are today, Jamie? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, th- first of all, thanks for having me uh, on this today. I'm, I always love talking about leadership. So this is a great way to start my morning. Um, so, yeah, I-, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and then I uh, I was a musician and I loved music. And I always had this vision that I was just going to go sing and be in a band and write songs and, and do that lifestyle. And I moved to L.A. when I was 18. I went to college uh, on a music scholarship to Azusa Pacific. And after about a year uh, in college, I realized that I could sing and write music and do everything I loved about music without a degree in music. So I changed up um, and I I ended up going and getting a business degree in marketing, uh, which kind of set me off on a different path. But it really was, um, I I finished college, my undergrad, and it really was, uh, I can boil it down to a singular moment Um, It was a weekend. It was my first date with my now husband, um, Flynn Cochran. They sort of set my life on a very different path than what I had 
intended or envisioned. Um, and that was because I grew up, you know, having an appreciation for, for the military. My parents were very patriotic. We always appreciated servicemen and women, but I really had no reference point as to what that lifestyle was like. Um, I didn't know anyone serving real time in the military. So this was kind of a distant thing for me. And then all of a sudden I find myself on a date with a naval officer. Um, and within six months we were married. So this happened very quickly. All of a sudden I find myself married three days after our wedding, my husband chucked in a bud. So not only was he a naval officer, he was now going in to try his hand at becoming a SEAL. Um, and I was a very quick introduction to the Navy in, in that regard. So we went on a short road trip essentially. Um, and then came back and he checked into buds, which kind of changed up everything I had I had planned for myself. And I ended up uh, moving to San Diego, getting a job in higher education and in in an event, essentially event planning. I was a programs director at San Diego State University. So I started getting a hand at working um, on a college campus. I love that atmosphere. I loved the kind of work that we were doing. And, and once again, I sort of thought I'd stay there at San Diego State and kind of live out my career. Um, I never had a desire or need to leave. And then of course, my husband, after six years in the teams, uh, he moved, uh, he got out and wanted to go and get his master's degree. So we moved and uprooted our family and our two kids to Boston. I was kind of in between work and figuring out what I wanted to do next, go back to higher education. And Leif Babin showed up with this idea of Echelon Front and what he wanted to do and his vision for this book that he was writing. Uh, and it turned out that there was an opportunity for opportunity for me to join them part time. And I really joined sort of in an admin capacity. It was a couple steps behind where I was in my career, but I really believed in Leif and Jocko and the mission. And uh, I'm so glad I took the opportunity because a year later, the book came out. And now I've been with the company for seven years. Um, recently, very humbled uh, by this, but uh, promoted to the COO position. So it's been an incredible journey with Echelon Front, Leif and Jocko and our entire team. Uh, but it all started a long time ago with just little twists and turns and what I thought my life path would end. You know, you're not uh, managing uh, weak people. <laughs> You've got strong personalities, successful people, high achievers. You know, what have you learned in that process? And, and I think there's a lot that people can apply here. We've got a lot of leaders here from a lot of different areas, but there's something to be said for uh, building a team and dealing with a team of high achievers uh, that's unique and different. Um, what, what have you learned in that process? <laughs> Yeah, so obviously I started understanding how to do that properly through my relationship with my husband. I had to sort of learn how to lead in our relationship with a very type A, very accomplished, very talented, smart, athletic. I mean, he's the kind of guy I, I give him a hard time, but like he's annoyingly good at really anything he tries, which I think is standard for a lot of team guys that I've met and, and other SEALs. So I had some experience firsthand you know, through my marriage and just our relationship. And when I joined Leif and Jocko, the really great part about our team, you know, I work with some incredible seasoned combat veterans. I mean, these are incredible leaders. And yet the one redeeming quality across the board that just stands out at every turn for every, every instructor we have here is humility. And I think a lot of people underestimate the importance of being humble. And we talk to our clients all the time about our, you know, we are, we think that the 
biggest quality and the most important quality of a leader is to be humble. And our instructors really follow that. I mean, Leif and Jocko, sure, they have an ego. They're, they're the best in what they do. And yet they're so incredibly humble. And so at every turn, they follow the principles that we teach. They listen to the, the ideas that I have. They take on board the things that I suggest. They give me a ton of room and trust and implement decentralized command so well that they allow me to maneuver and make decisions and solve problems. Um, so it's just been an incredible group to be a part of. And I don't really have to lead them in, in a specific way because we really are a team and we're aligned on the overall mission. And so everyone's just working together to accomplish that. And it creates this really fun team dynamic. And, you know, we're not, we're not infallible to the challenges that other companies and teams face, but we overcome them and solve them, I think, so much quicker because we implement exactly what we teach to our clients, these principles of extreme ownership. You know, something uh, recent that I've seen you pivot into, you know, uh, probably there was a perception out there for years, this is probably a, a male-dominated type of training or male-dominated type of environment, and yet you've pivoted recently to uh, how the principles of extreme ownership help create strong female leaders in their businesses and their community at home. I want to, I want to pivot over here and, and play a little clip and then maybe transition over to talk about that because I thought this was a really uh, powerful. But then I got to watch her from afar as she dealt with this terrible situation. And she had two choices that she could have made. She could have used Brennan's death as an excuse and she could have gone down a path that would have led her to carry that weight of that tragedy on her shoulders for the rest of her life. Or what she did, the other choice that she made is that she decided to take ownership of that situation. And I, I understand that this is not something she could have controlled and you can't always take ownership. You, yes, things happen to you, bad things happen that you can't control that are out of your control. And we deal with those things all the time, but we can control what we do when we're faced with those challenges, what we do when we get hit with those hard things. And what Amy decided to do was she decided to take ownership of everything. She decided to take ownership of how she lived her life in the wake of this horrific tragedy. And what she did was a year after Brendan died, she ran the Marine Corps Marathon after never having done anything like that before. And then she swam the English Channel with a group of friends. And then she climbed Machu Picchu. And then she joined a foundation and she dedicated her life to helping other Gold Star families overcome what she went through. She wrote a book to tell her story and to talk to other women that were dealing with the same things and help them find perspective and help them find a new path. And she got married and she had a baby last year. And I remember asking her once how she did it, how she kept it so strong. I didn't know if that was a strength that I had in me. And I asked her once where that came from. And she said to me, in everything I do, I want Brendan to be proud of me. Mm -hmm. 
besides just being a powerful, inspiring story, I mean, that captures a lot of the essence of what I've seen you trying to do. It looks like of, of take these principles of ownership and show how they can transform folks' lives. Talk a little bit about what you're doing there and, and what you've seen happen so far in some of the work you're doing. Yeah, so, you know, everything I've done here at Echelon Front, really what led us to the Women's Assembly, which is, you know, our monthly community of women, leaders in every capacity coming together to talk about extreme ownership and how to apply these principles. It really started with me, with me personally. I read the book, I read the manuscript before it was even released to the public, and I knew immediately that there was really something special here. Um, and I think for anyone who's read the book, it's not like these principles are new principles. <laughs> like we know what good leadership looks like. You got to listen. You got to communicate effectively. You got to be a good team player. You have to be accountable. Like we know what those things look like. So it wasn't as if there was some like brand new concept that Leif and Jocko came up with, but there was something really special about how they told the story and how they taught it that really connected and resonated with me. So I read that first manuscript. I knew immediately that this was something I wanted to be a part of. And then I had the benefit of learning from them and working to implement these principles here at Echelon Front as I built out my team and as I hired people and we started to grow as a company. I got to use these principles as I talked to clients about the challenges that they were facing and how these principles could help them solve the challenges that they were dealing with. Um, and then the biggest aha moment for me was when I read the book and I really took that third section of each chapter and I applied it to me as a mother here in my home with my children in what I consider to be my greatest leadership responsibility. So I started to see the impact of implementing these principles here at home with my kids and my husband. And it really started with me. I got to see the impact of within myself as I implemented these principles. I started to get to see the impact in the people around me. And I really created a belief around what we teach, which then translated into being more effective at my job here at Echelon Front. And as we looked at our mission at Echelon Front, which is really to help as many people understand these principles, learn them, implement them in their lives, and have an incredible success in doing so, I started to realize that there was a gap in our reach that, you know, we do these muster leadership conferences and 80% of the attendees are men. And so we were only hitting 20% of, of the women who felt like these principles were for them. Or I talked to a client and they'd say, hey, we really love the content, but we're really worried that maybe our, our the women in our organization won't resonate with the combat leadership um, you know, sentiments and, and language. And so I started to, to recognize that there was a disconnect for some women. And, and I say some women because some of our best examples of extreme ownership are really incredible women in leadership positions, both in business and at home. Um, but there are some women who just really couldn't bridge the gap between this is combat leadership. How could this possibly apply to me in my life and in the things that I'm managing? So we wanted to find a way to help overcome that by teaching these principles and creating a space where we could come together. We don't talk a lot about the combat components. I didn't serve in combat, so that's not my story. We talk more about it as it relates to a variety of things. We have some incredible guests that come on and talk about their experience in implementing these principles. We've had guests that talk about specific things within their professional world and they're leading their teams and their organizations. We've had guests talk about it as it relates more to your home life and how you manage your children. So it's just been a really cool community for us to talk about these principles and to help 
everyone, but particularly women, understand that these principles are absolutely for them and that any leader in any capacity can have an incredible success in implementing these principles effectively. So it's just been a really cool, um, it's just been a really cool environment to talk about these principles and hopefully help women who are hesitant understand that these are in fact uh, leadership principles for them. If you have any uh, questions, type in the chat and we'll get you unmuted. What Are there any success stories or, or things that come to mind when you look back over the work you've done where you can see this really had an impact. I, I can tell you, I've given away hundreds of this book and I can't tell how many times people have come back and told me it changed their life because you're right. It's all common sense, but it just reinforced some common sense that maybe they hadn't heard in a while or had forgotten. And then they go back and apply it to their life and they say, wow, suddenly I'm getting a promotion. Suddenly things at home seem better because I'm applying these things just from reading that book. Talk about some of the things you've seen in your seven years. Yeah, so I, I'm in a unique position at Echelon Front because I'm uh, for a long time. Now, granted, I'm, I'm kind of out of that role or, or moving out of that role. But for a long time, I was the first point of contact for our clients and the people that we are working with, individuals, people posting on social and sharing with us the impact that they were having in, in applying these principles within their life. So um, I get the benefit to hear those, those stories of impact as we, as we call them. Um, and what's interesting is that the muster, which is our conference that we run, I do a brief called the barriers to extreme ownership. And it's really talking about what are the things that keep us from taking ownership? Things like obviously our ego, things like not feeling like these principles are for us. Um, things like, you know, being afraid of the consequences when you take ownership of things, but really those barriers that keep us from taking ownership and then how to overcome those barriers. But part of, part of the end, end of this brief is what we call the stories of impact. And it's my favorite part because it's the part where I get to share some of these really incredible stories. And it's a small fraction of the number of, of stories that we get. Um, but some, some stories that come to mind, you know, obviously company culture, that's a big key component for a lot of companies as they try to build their team. And we had, uh, we have a, uh, his, his name is Matt Malone. He's the CEO, CEO of a company called Groundworks. And he reached out two and a half years ago and um, he came to a muster and he just said, you know what? I love these principles. I really want to help um, this be the core foundation of our company. And so he brought in Echelon Front and it really wasn't us. You know, I always, I always put this out there like, hey, this isn't a sales pitch for Echelon Front. This is simply people applying them properly. So Matt decided he wanted his company to be, this to be the founding principles and culture within their organization. He brought us in and he's worked to implement these principles at every level of leadership. And it's, it's helped them grow substantially. They've seen incredible growth. They've doubled over the last year um, and continue to grow. And, and it's an incredible example of just company culture and how these principles can help shape a company and a team if implemented properly. We have an organization, um, it's a large global organization and there's 11 major units, we'll call them for NDA purposes, I can't share the company, but it's, it's a, they have 11 major units. And this team was ranking every year in their, in their annual review um, for employee engagement last. For five years running, they were last in this ranking. And they just decided as a team that they were done losing as a team. They wanted to win as a team. And they read the book. They decided to take these principles, to learn them as a team, implement them at every level. And for the last two years, they've placed first. 
They went from last to first within, within a six month period. So incredible growth just for, again, from a team and a company. Uh, we have a woman, her name's Katie Sewell, and she showed up to one of our muster events three years ago. She drove four hours just to hopefully meet Leif and Jocko. She wasn't a registrant for the event itself, but she showed up with a book. And with tears in her eyes, she talked to them and she explained that the book saved her marriage, that her and her husband were on the brink of divorce and that they were separated. They were living in separate um, houses and they had signed divorce papers. And her brother, her husband read this book and said, hey, I think what we need to do is, is both read this book and try to apply these within our marriage for the next 30 days until this divorce is, is final and see if we can't find some way to salvage this for the sake of our children. Um, and they did that. They read the book and they applied the principles. And three years later, they're still happily married. And they ended up being able to rip up those divorce papers. We actually hired Katie four months ago as our HR manager. So really cool testament of the power of relationships, but just how cool these principles can be in a home life. Um, and then one of the more recent stories of impact, um, you know, and this one's tough for our entire team. We have a, a, a gentleman, his name's Mike Stevenson. He was the CEO of ESI, one of our major clients. We've been working with Steve um, and or Mike and his team the last two and a half years. And um, Mike brought out one of our instructors a couple of years ago for just a, a, a keynote event. He had no intention of doing any kind of leadership training, but he did this keynote and decided afterwards to read the book. And he found that there was a lot of changes he needed to make as a leader. When you talk to his team now, they talk about the fact that he totally changed as a leader. He totally changed in the way that he led his team. And over the last two years, we've built in a phenomenal relationship with Mike. His team has done some incredible things together. He was out three months ago at our field training exercise. He came out to test it to see if it was a good fit for his team. And four days after that event, he had a seizure at his son's baseball game and he passed away unexpectedly. And it was a massive hit to our team, to his team, to ESI, to his family. It was such a hard thing to deal with, especially because we had just seen him four days before and had these incredible conversations about what he was doing and his ideas for his company and what he wanted to see them do. And the day that he passed, his right hand called Dave Burke from our team and explained what had happened. And of course, we said, hey, we're here, whatever you guys need. Um, but in the weeks since, we've had some incredible conversations with them. And the, the common sentiment we get from the people on their team is that Mike set us up for success. And the real story here is that Mike's leadership, good leadership, it outlasts the leader. When we are good at implementing and being leaders to our team, it outlasts our, our need to be there as a leader. And his company has been able to pick up in his wake and continue on with the mission that he, that he set for them. And I think that's a cool example for a reminder to me of the importance of leadership, because I also think that that applies to everything. You know, when we, when we move up to a new role and we're no longer leading other members of our team, we can set them up for success. If we're a good leader, when we move on and we move to a different team, they're going to be successful. When we move on to other companies, maybe we hit the threshold at a certain organization, we move to a new organization, the team behind us is going to succeed without, without us there. And the same thing goes at home. If I'm a good leader and in, in with my kids now, when someday when they leave me and they're no longer here and they don't need me every day, they're going to be successful because of the leadership that I offered them today. So 
Mike is such a cool example that good leadership outlasts the leader. Um, the stories of impact are vast. Um, incredible examples from, you know, we have youth that share these stories. We have leaders in business, leaders in, in their communities, personal feats of overcoming addiction, losing weight, getting healthier. Um, it's incredible to be a part of an organization that gets to see that kind of impact in people's lives. Those are awesome stories, Jamie. Let's go to uh, Andre. Oh, Jamie, I love everything you're talking about. I've been around women leaders uh, for the majority of my business life, and it has been uh, awesome working with uh, uh, the female side of leadership. You know, the question I wanted to ask was really, um, and I also love the comment, good leaders, leadership outlasts the leader. Um, I've experienced that in my career, and it's an amazing thing to hear back. Tell me about the name Echelon Front and where it came from, because uh, I don't quite understand where that comes from. I'm not a military guy, and so if that's a military term, uh, please share with me where that came from. But I, I really uh, am enjoying the conversation today. Yeah, Echelon is a unit or a group of people, and, and oftentimes in combat, it's referred to as either Echelon Rear, which is the rear unit that's holding security on the line, or Echelon Front, which is the people in the front leading the way. So that's really where that came, that name came from, Echelon Front, you know, helping people understand these principles. That was, you know, it, as they looked at, you know, Echelon Rear, Echelon Front, Echelon Front is where we want to be and helping people understand what these principles are, are for and how to apply them. I love it. I love it. I see a lot of military guys chiming in, man. So I'll step aside. <laughs> you had some head nods there. Yeah. Right. Uh, Drew's an old army guy. So he said it's not a Navy term, but <laughs> let's go to uh, Dean. All right. Well, good morning, Jamie. Thanks very much. Great presentation so far and your insights. Um, you know, something I've been trying to read about and learn about more recently, and we'll see if this kind of resonates with the rest of the team and your trainings as well as this, uh, this idea or this concept around psychological safety and, and trying to empower staff to not only understand that it's part of a responsibility, uh, but an expectation that people would be able to bring up big questions and big challenges and not have anything that's going to be off limits and not have any topics around an organization that is going to be, uh, you know, a concern or a fear of, of retribution of certain departments. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering in your leadership examples, I'm really trying to think of ways that, you know, how can we make sure we model that for people and, and, and reinforce it? Uh, because I think that it's, it's kind of a, it's a big cultural thing. And I wonder if there are ways to just take little bites out of it bite after bite after bite until you get the change that we need. So yeah, anyway, thanks very much. Yeah, I love that question. And you know, oftentimes any question we get, we can always boil it down to sort of the main principle of extreme ownership. But I think in this case, this really does solve some of that. You know, we talk about, um, you know, there's a couple things around ownership that are kind of the nuanced ideas of this principle. Um, taking ownership is really, as a leader, you're responsible for everything. So you're, if your team's not accomplishing the mission, if they're not effective, they're missing deadlines, they, they're not understanding the mission, it, it's up to you as a leader to solve those problems. And when your team makes mistakes, that's on you. So this idea of ownership, there's a couple nuances there that really, as you start to cultivate this mindset, you start to understand how to implement this more effectively. And the first is, is preemptive ownership. 
And that's the idea that when you talk to your team and when you're soliciting feedback and when you're giving them information, or maybe you're sending them on, on a little bit of a risk and you know that there's a risk in, in, a, pro, in a project you're overseeing or whatever it might be, that you preemptively say, hey, I've got your back on this. I, I'm going to take ownership. If this doesn't go right, I've got your back. We're going to solve it this way. And you take some preemptive ownership so they feel secure that they've got the support of their leadership to maybe try something or maybe, you know, communicate something that is, you know, they wouldn't otherwise feel comfortable doing. The other idea that we talk about is this idea of overlapping fields of ownership. So in combat, you know, the guys will talk about you know, you want overlapping fields of fire so that you can cover a bigger ground and have security across, you know, a larger space. Um, the same thing goes for ownership. You don't need everyone in your organization to implement this principle effectively for it to still have a major impact. You need a couple key people that are really good at taking ownership when things go wrong and solving problems. And, and that creates that overlapping fields of ownership. So I think, you know, your question around this is, you know, you need to create a culture where mistakes are accepted, where you have really good debrief and, and discussions around mistakes when they happen that are for the sake of um, solving things for moving forward. But also like that's where the ownership piece comes in. So if your team's making a mistake or they have feedback that maybe is negative or there's sensitive topics, creating a space where those conversations can be had by first and foremost modeling this idea of ownership and taking ownership when your team does fail or taking ownership when things don't go right. Um, does that answer your question or did you have some more clarity around that that maybe I could dive a little deeper into? I think that's I think that's a great start. Thank you very much. I've taken some notes on there, some other things to look up, and I love the idea of just that preemptive ownership too, which is, and then modeling that behavior, you know, and then and then making sure that, you know, also it has to do with, I think, some communication style in there of understanding that doesn't need to be defensiveness around data, you know, if we're just trying to all solve the same problem together. So yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, and one more thing to add on that, you know, Jocko refers to, he's been talking a lot recently around this idea of the ladder of alignment. And um, it's been an interesting, you know, it's not something that's in any of the books that he's written before, but we've been talking so much about it lately. And it's kind of, you know, this idea that if you're in friction with someone else in your team, um, whatever that might be, that in order to solve that, or if you have, you know, a sensitive topic, you have to climb that ladder of alignment by asking earnest questions to, to see where, where on the ladder are you aligned. So if the overall mission, you're aligned on the overall mission and both plans or both, you know, sentiments get you to forward in accomplishing that mission, then you can more easily check your ego and allow someone else to take lead on something or have an opinion on something or take, you know, use their plan. So I think that that might be something to use here too. climb the ladder, ask really earnest questions. And if you're aligned on the overall goal, you should be able to have really tough, hard conversations all throughout the process, as long as the ultimate goal is to get to that mission together. Thanks very much. It was awesome. Let's go to Drew. Jamie, absolutely love your passion. Uh, it's infectious. And I, I say it that way because I, Randy brings in so many great people to these. And I would argue you have uh, in this room a, a bunch of incredible leaders um, that probably already get what you talk about. And I'm, I'm, I struggle with this because of 28 years in the Army. Um, the burden of leadership, um, what you talked about 
about leadership outlasting the leader and themselves. Um, the burden of leadership that I keep telling people about is you don't create a leader until that leader has created, in fact, the leader. So, lifelong learning. You know, I, my boss from Somalia and calls me on a regular basis to see how I'm doing, to check on my development. And, and this is, you know, come on, um, I'm almost 57 years old, but he still guides me um, and steers me in powerful direction. Um, how do you develop a culture that walks that talk? Um, because it's real easy to, to know what right looks like. You know, when you, when you talk about radical candor and Stan McChrystal team of teams, I was on one of Stan's teams. So I understand what that team of teams concept was because we lived it every single day. How are you managing to develop that in organizations that might not have seen this that they might have been around an organization of selfish versus selfless. How are you managing that in the development moving forward for organizational culture? Yeah, you know, you hit it earlier when you commented on the fact that leadership is sort of a lifelong endeavor. There's really like no leader is ever going to have it fully figured out. And, and even working here for seven years, I've heard Leif and Jack, I've heard my counterparts talk about these principles thousands of times at this point. And yet there are still things that, you know, we'll hop on a call and something will come up and, and something will click for me. So I don't think that you're ever done as a leader learning. We've had some success in going into organizations. You know, we always joke with our clients. So like, hey, we're not motivational speakers. If that's what you're looking for, that's not who we are because we're not going to come in and tell you how great you are and how awesome your team is. We're going to come in and tell you that you need to check your ego and that you're not doing what you need to do. You're not innovating, adapting in, in a great, in a, in a positive way. But our goal is to really help people first and foremost, understand the idea and the importance of being humble, because we find that ego is the number one killer in really every business in, in everything, business and life. And so we really right out the gate, we're talking with our clients about ego. Um, one of the first assessments we do with our clients is, um, called the balance assessment. And the whole idea of the balance assessment is to really force your hand at looking at the various things you're doing as a leader and where you're out of balance as it, as it relates to the laws of combat. Are you covering and moving for your team? Are you communicating simply and effectively and all these different things. And what's so funny is that we had, um, we had a client a couple months ago and the way that this assessment is written is that it's nearly impossible. I don't know that any leader could be straight down the middle balance. Like it's written in a way that's always every time, like very specific to make it challenging for the leader to mark themselves down the center. And yet we had this leader who marked himself down the center, but he would cross out always, right? Like he just, he adjusted the balance assessment to fit his, his ego that was telling him I'm not doing what I need to do. So I think the first thing we have to work on as leaders and the first thing that we attack essentially, you know, when we're working with clients is ego and really helping them understand the importance of being humble. I think the next critical component is teaching extreme ownership and people underestimate this idea of extreme ownership. They don't understand. We call it internally because we kind of joke as it's the magic. It is absolutely the magic. And I've seen it time and time again, when people get, when they, when they can check their ego enough to take ownership when things go wrong, to take ownership of even the small little things, the feedback you get is incredible. All of a sudden, you know, the shoulders of defensiveness relax 
And now you might find yourself even in a tug of war of ownership with someone where somebody goes, well, wait a minute. No, 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 that's my fault. And we see it time and time and time again. I don't know a single scenario that we've ever come up with in which extreme ownership and this idea of saying, hey, that's on me. This is what I did. Here's what I'm going to do to fix it doesn't solve the problem or help to build a relationship so that down the road you can build a relationship. So the first thing is obviously checking your ego. The second thing is cultivating this mindset of uh, extreme ownership and working to implement it in every facet. And then the last key component, I mean, there's a lot of things we talk about, but the last key for me is relationships. And I think a lot of people don't expect our, you know, Jacko willing, silverback, gorilla, Navy SEAL to talk about relationships, but you'd be surprised that is most often the, the common phrase and thing that he's talking about, the importance of building and maintaining positive relationships. Because when you have really good relationships, you can more effectively cover and move. You can communicate in a more simplified manner. You can prioritize your tasks better because you have team members that understand what you need and how to get that job done. And decentralized command is easy when you have good relationships and trust. So I think those are the three foundations for me that really help set a team up. And if you have good leaders in your organization that are exemplifying these principles, even if no, even if you know, every person on the team doesn't get on board, you'll get a few key people that really get on board. And, and that can slowly start to change the culture. And I gave a couple examples earlier, but this has happened time and time again with the organizations that we've worked with. You get a couple really good leaders to exemplify these principles, model them, and the impact is, is dramatic over time. And, and just so you know, I use these with my kids. And it's an incredible thing when you take ownership of something and your kids model that back to you. You know, we're running late and I say, hey, it's my fault. I should have gotten you guys up sooner. And you have your nine-year-old. It's like, well, no, it's my fault. I didn't get my shoes on when you told me to. Whatever it is, I get to see this every day. And it really does work. It really, really does work. I want to go back because you talked about taking the job but then you read the book and then you became passionate about applying the principles of the book at home. And, and somewhere as you were describing that, it looked like this became more than a job. It became purpose. How much do you wind purpose into culture and, 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 and talk a little bit about how you've seen that with your clients and with the work you guys do. Yeah. So right out the gate, I read the manuscript. And again, I, when I read the manuscript, I knew that this was something special. I had known Leif prior. My husband served with him at SEAL Team One. So I knew him in, in a limited capacity. Um, but really very early on, I got a, an inside view of Leif and Jocko. And I think people imagine that there is a camera, you know, Jocko versus like you know, behind the scenes Jocko. And there's not. He's the, he's the same leader at every at every turn. So I got to really understand these principles because I had two leaders that were modeling them for me. Um, and, you know, there's a couple things early on that really helped me feel a connected purpose to what their mission. Like, I just wanted to be a part of it. And, and interestingly enough, when I was at San Diego State University, I had a staff. I had two full-time assistants. I had five part-time assistants, a graduate assistant, and a student board of 60 that I advised. So I had a staff of people that would manage and run admin components of, of the things that we did at state. And when I got to Echelon Front, it was me. It was me, Lathan Jocko. And I was working part-time. I was working really in a very admin capacity. I mean, the mundane admin tasks, like booking travel, I was doing that. And my, and 
I was paying for full-time childcare, but I was only working part-time. And my husband at one point, very supportive, was kind of like, hey, how long are we going to do this? Because I could have easily just gone to another university and taken another job as a director level um, and and had a full-time gig. And I told him, I said, hey, this was like three months in. I was like, just give me six months. I really feel like there's something here. Just give me six months. And um, and so we kind of set a timeline for ourselves. And again, he was super supportive. This was not like an ultimatum by any means. But, you know, we were kind of managing this, this idea of my career change. And, and this was backwards for me. And six months later, the book was released. And about a month later, I came on board full time. And the amount of trust and responsibility that Leif and Jocko gave me really gave me this commitment to not only them, but to Echelon Front and what we were doing. And what really helped me feel connected to the mission was starting to see people implement these principles to get that feedback of, I lost 85 pounds. I stopped drinking two months ago. I, you know, this is helping me in my relationship. We had a 14 year old girl who had a series of seizures and was rendered with the inability to talk and walk. She had to relearn those processes. And her dad started reading her extreme ownership. And when she was able to read for the first time out loud after having to relearn how to talk, that was the first book she read out loud. I mean, one of the best examples of extreme ownership, she like is now training jujitsu and is an incredible warrior kid. And it's just, I got to see the benefit of what these principles could do in the people that we are working with. But I got to see, more importantly, the benefit of me implementing these principles at home and as I started to hire my, my, the members of our ops team. And um, I just, you know, I've read the book probably five or six times at this point. I've heard, I've heard it over and over and over again, and it never gets old to me. Every time I hear it, it's just a, it's just a reminder to me of how important these principles are and, and the impact that they can have. So that's really what help, helps me be committed to the mission here at Echelon Front. You know, there's some courage required, though, to take what looks like a step back and a non-traditional career move to move forward towards something you're passionate about. And a lot of people have entrepreneurial ideas, things they'd like to go do, things that they always just keep locked away in the back, and they never take that brave, courageous leap. How do you encourage people to, to find what you found, which was to believe in something? Yeah, you know, I was in a unique position where I had an opportunity to actually think through what the next, you know, phase of my life would be. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had had a really good career at San Diego State University, um, but we had moved there to support my husband and his goal to get his master's degree. Um, and so I just was in a state of like, cool, let's let's try something new. Now is the best time. And Leif happened to just approach me. Now, a cool story about that is that Leif um, it's actually a good example of how important relationships are because I met Leif years before he offered me this opportunity at Echelon Front uh, because my husband had signed up to run a change of command event at the base there. And of course, he came home and handed like the entire event packet to me and, and I ran the change of command event. But the benefit is I got to work with Leif during this change of command um, event that I helped to coordinate. And so it builds like a little bit of a relationship. He got to see a little bit of my skills. So then years later, when this opportunity came, he knew a little bit about me. So it's a cool testament of the power of relationships because I would have never guessed when I was working with Leif that this would turn out to, to what it is today. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, if you have an opportunity to try something new, it's totally worth it. You know, I, 
I knew more than anything, I believed in the mission and that I just needed to prove value and work hard and deliver on the things that they were asking me to do and that they would take care of me um, as I did those things. And every step, at every step that I took ownership of something, they gave me more trust and they put more on my plate. And I would take ownership of something and I would fail or make a mistake and they'd take ownership back and then they'd give me more trust. And it was just this really cool building of responsibility um, to what I'm doing now. Um, and it's, it's, it's humbling that they've put that kind of trust in me to go from, you know, really an admin support to booking travel to then managing our operations team and running some major events to now instructing and teaching and doing these other components of the job that I get to do. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, if you're passionate about something, you can, you can make a way for yourself for sure. Let's go to Harry. Um, hey, Jamie, uh, this is incredibly engaging. Thank you. Um, I have a raging battle going on in my head, and I wanted to get you to uh, comment on it, if you don't mind. It's this idea of uh, leadership. Great leadership uh, transcends the person and continues, because I wholeheartedly agree with that, but I was writing some notes. I, I believe there's a half-life, and the question is, the next leader can determine whether that half-life is three, four, five, six years, or whether it's 30 days. And so I could argue either side of this. I'm not doing this to be provocative. I, it, I'm really struggling with it. I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about what Herb Kelleher did at Southwest Airlines. He made it so that the culture was there. They've transitioned. He's long out of the job. As a matter of fact, he's passed away. And they still have that culture. KU basketball, as much as I hate those bastards, um, transition from Roy Williams to Bill Self in a way that they didn't miss a beat. And they've had 35 good years in a row. I know all these people on the phone are like KU people. Whereas Apple, the first time back when they went with Scully, they, they fell apart until Steve Jobs came back. And Indiana basketball, Bobby Knight was great for 30 years. And we've had six coaches since then and we've struggled. So the culture stays, but not just comment on the idea of the leadership can, can determine how long that tail is or how short it is. Cause I continue to argue about that in my head. Absolutely. You know, we, one of the chapters in extreme ownership is that leadership is the most important thing on the battlefield and the leader absolutely has an impact as to whether or not the team succeeds or fails. And the culture that is, is, is maintained um, is, is oftentimes very much tied to the leader. So um, there's a great example in the book about the boat crews and how one boat crew was dominating every single race. One boat crew was was losing every single race. So they did an experiment and they swapped the leaders of the boat crews. And all of a sudden, the boat crew that was losing every single race had this new leader that was leading them in a more effective way. And they started to win and they started to, you know, take second and third and first because they had a really good leader in that position leading them. But what was interesting and what was, I think, more powerful in that scenario is that the boat crew that was winning, who now was placed with this, you know, you could argue a subpar leader, continued to succeed and continue to do well. So I do think that over time, a bad leader in a position will help, will, will damage the culture that, that a previous leader has cultivated. But if you have really strong leaders, um, you know, and, and, and the core leader leaves, then, you know, you can implement the idea of leading up the chain of command and these other components of cover and move and default aggressive to help them 
at least maybe extend the time in which that bad leader can have an impact on them. So I do think that, you know, there is, there is obviously a threshold to that, you know, there's an expiration date if you have a bad leader in a position, but in the case of ESI, for example, the leaders that were right behind Mike had such a good understanding of these principles and he really cultivated this really strong leadership so that when he was no longer there, his left and right were able to step into that role and just to continue to keep that really strong company culture. So you can do a lot as a leader, um, but obviously there's components outside of your control and you just hope that what you've done for your team will allow them to properly lead up the chain and do the things they need to do to get the team on the right path and to keep that culture strong. That's cool. Thank you. You know, there are folks on this call that I've had the talk with of when's the right time to leave or should they steam and be loyal to their team or is the team going to be okay? How does a leader determine that the team will be okay and that it's okay to move on? I think it's a great question. I think this honestly goes back to the core uh, principle of checking your ego. I think you know, sometimes we lead our teams and we get to see their experience and their skill set and we get to see them do incredible things. And I'm, I do this now with my team where I have to recognize that there are times I'm actually getting in the way of my team doing their job and growing and being effective because it was maybe something I always did. And so I have to constantly remind myself like, no, they're capable. They can do this. I'm, I am literally stepping on their toes right now. And the muster is a great example of that. The first, we do this leadership conference. The first leadership, the first muster we ran was six years ago, um, maybe five years ago. And I, I was the only one there, a bunch of strangers, essentially volunteers were there helping. So I was running around the entire time, staying up late, getting up in the morning. I didn't even listen to the the key, the, the, the actual event, because I was outside in the hallway dealing with various things. And fast forward, you know, the last muster, I'm at this event, my team is totally locked in, they're totally got it. And I'm going up to Jen on our team and saying, hey, we got to remember to this. She's like, oh, no, we already did it. And I'm going over to Lynn, like, hey, let's not forget about this. She's like, nope, we already got it handled. So and so is going to manage it. And I just had to look at one point and say, you know what, I got to step away here. My team's got this. And I just went into the room and I listened to the other presenters, my teammates. Um, I got to speak at that muster, which is the first time I've ever spoken at an event. So I think when you implement really good decentralized command and you build your team up and you build this level of trust to where they're being effective and running and managing these things on their own, you as a leader have to remember to check your ego and step back and realize that they can do it without you. And at a certain point, you know, for every leader, you get to the point where, you know, maybe you're not being challenged anymore. Maybe you've hit a threshold for your excitement or your passion over something. And, you know, if you've set your team up for success, you can move on to something else and they're going to be just fine without you. Um, but it takes, you know, it takes a lot of you, I think, personally checking your ego to be able to do that. I think it's less around your team being capable and more about you recognizing that they're capable. Yeah, any surprises working with the folks you've worked with the last few years? Any anything that's just shocked you? Any big surprises? Um, I don't think anything shocked me. I mean, it's a really cool team to work with. I mean, you know, Leif and Jocko are are amazing leaders. We get to learn from them, which is amazing. Um, you know, they they each have both of their kind of interesting personalities. I joke that you know part of my job is to understand each of their different. Uh, communication styles, what they need. Like I, 
I will talk to Jocko and essentially bullet points. I can call him and he'll say, Hey, and I'll say, Hey, one, two, three. He'll say, no, yes. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. And we can communicate that way. We have a really awesome relationship versus Leif. I have to give him more information. So I think, you know, what's interesting to me is that I get to learn the different personalities and how I can be most effective to communicate with the various people on our team. Um, I think the only thing that's really surprised me, and I don't, I don't think it surprised me, but just how, how close, I mean, Dave Burke, JP Donnell are two of my closest friends. So outside of just really believing in the mission and wanting to be a part of what Echelon Friends is doing, I have a, a network now, a group of people that I really, truly care about. So I think um, not that it was shocking or, or surprising, but just how close our team is, um, that we would drop anything to help one another. I mean, JP is a great example of, you know, I'll call him and the first question is always like, hey, how can I help? What do you need? Um, I'll say, hey, you know, Dave's flight got canceled. And he's like, okay, where do I need to drive? Like, I'll get in my car right now. Like, I think what's amazing is that people, people think that, you know, Navy SEALs, they're like hard personalities and they're super intense and they're, you know, overbearing or they're overwhelming. And none of that is true. They're actually all incredibly humble, incredibly caring, incredibly committed to helping each other and, and, you know, being a good team, uh, they communicate really well. So I think it's more so just the misconceptions people have about SEALs that I've come to find is, you know, just not true. I think Andre's got another question here. I know it's weird that I have questions. I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that doesn't like to talk very much, as you all well know. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, so much of the leadership to me uh, encompasses what we are now faced with as a country, right? Which is, how do we make our organizations more equitable? How do we make them more inclusive? And so as part of your training, or have you considered, if you haven't started that process, how to make organizations tackle the conversation of DEI? And then even with your company, how diverse is it? I mean, you're, women in, you're a woman in leadership, and, and so... Certainly, you have a different lens than most of us on the call. I have a different lens than most of us on the call. How are you tackling those issues? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, we talk to a lot of companies. This is obviously a growing um, topic of conversation for a lot of the companies and organizations that we're working with. And we believe really strongly at Echelon Front that there's, there's an incredible value as an organization and as a leader to have a variety of perspectives on your team. You know, Jocko will say all the time, I don't want yes men. I want people that are going to push back and give me new ideas and bring a new um, experience and perspective and skills and backgrounds to the things that we're working on. That's how we work together as a team. That's the, you know, epitome of cover and move is, is, is leaning on those different perspectives. So it is something that we believe strongly in. We always talk to our clients about the importance of, of finding leaders um, that are, you know, first and foremost, humble, but also bring to your team a new added value of, of, of their perspective and background. Um, as far as echelon front, we are, it, it's a, it's a, it's a topic um, and something that we're working towards because we also, as we as we advocate for our clients to really embrace DEI efforts, we also want to showcase that we are doing that ourselves. 
Um, we have, you know, obviously the, the military component is strong here in that diverse group. The women component here is very strong. We have some incredible women leaders, not only instructors, but the vast majority of our, um, you know, management team are women. So we have really good perspectives and backgrounds there. Um, and then our FTX support team brings a lot of really incredible diver uh, racial diversity to our team and brings a lot of really cool perspectives there as well. So, you know, we're, we're as many organizations, we're not where we need to be. We're continuing to make those efforts. Um, and more than anything, we want, you know, we want everyone, including the people that we work with and ourselves to just appreciate the value in an array of perspectives and experience on a team. It's, it's critical to the team being successful. And I think anyone that thinks otherwise um, is just going to be shorthanded because they're not going to have perspectives they otherwise wouldn't have. So um, it's important to us for sure. We're continuing to develop and think about that. And certainly as we talk with clients, it's a, it's a common topic of conversation that we engage with uh, regularly. Great. Love hearing that. Thank you. You know, real quick, you touched on something a minute ago. Uh, we probably all encountered leaders who say, this is how I am, just deal with it. And yet you are adapting your style to your audience. You, you verbalized that a minute ago, that you intentionally communicate one way with one person, different way with another person to get the best out of that person. Maybe talk about that as a leader, how important that is to be adaptable and not so rigid of that everybody else has to conform to you. Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about sort of, you know, some leaders feel like, well, I'm just direct. I'm just honest. I'm just, I just get to the point. That's how we get things done. And, uh, and, and really what that does is that inhibits your ability to build relationships. Um, and relationships, in our opinion, is one of the most important things you can do as a leader. That If you have good relationships, and you guys know it, you've got, you know, you have someone on your team who you don't really like, who you don't really get along with. They ask you to do something and you might say yes but you're going to like slow roll it. You're not going to like stop what you're doing. You're going to be like, yeah, I'll get to it. You're going to, you know, you're going to do your job, but kind of half-heartedly versus the member of your team who you have a great relationship and who you really care about. They ask you to do something. You're going to stop what you're doing and you're going to go get it done because you want to support them. So I think people undervalue the importance of building relationships. And if you come across as a leader that like, I'm direct and this is just how it is, take it or leave it, you're gonna miss opportunities to build relationships with people on your team. And it's, you know, a lot of people take that route because it's the easier route and it works for a while and you're successful at doing that for a while. But the long-term strategy will be lost if you don't spend the time to get to know your team, to figure out what it is that they need to deliver on providing them resources and tools and, and support as they've requested. And so, you know, the, the indirect approach, uh, approach in this regard is going to be a much more successful in the long term. Um, it's, it's not easy to do. And that's why a lot of people just end up not going that route. But if you take the time to get to know your team and build relationships, it's incredible the things that you can do. Um, so it's, you know, it's tough. I, I have learned leading up the chain and down the chain that my team have different needs, different communication styles. And it's my job. This is the idea of ownership. It's my job. If I want to be effective at leading them and working with them to understand those differences. And you do that through relationships. I have, you know, my right and left hand here at this organization are very different people. They have very different skill sets. I need to put them in positions so that they can be successful and contribute to the team, which means that, you know, one does a certain, certain tasks and one does others. The way I communicate 
with them is different. Same up the chain, as I, as I mentioned with Leif and Jocko, the way that I communicate with each is very different because I figured out over time how I can be effective with each member of my team. And the more that I get to know them, the more that I can actually implement those little nuanced ways in communicating with them, which helps me be a better leader both up and down the chain of command. Well, this is awesome. Great conversation, Jamie. I love your passion, your enthusiasm for uh, for your doing, your sense of purpose. Uh, the, the work you guys are doing, I know, is changing lives. I've, I've heard it too many times from folks I gave the book to who came back and talked about the impact it had on their life. And so um, I encourage you to, to keep pushing on and doing what you're doing. You have a new training manual coming out, I believe, now soon to accompany extreme ownership. We do. Yeah. We've got some cool things coming out for Echelon Front. You know, we're, we're trying to help our clients. I mentioned before, our, our mission is to help as many people learn these principles, apply them and, and drive impact in their lives. And so we're looking at, you know, every step and way that we can do that. Obviously, we have a business. There's a monetary thing that we have to accomplish from a financial standpoint. But the bigger mission is really helping people implement these principles effectively. So we have a workbook that's coming out um, in August, and it's a really great tool for individuals and teams to use together. And then we have a resource kit coming out soon as well that offers for every chapter um, some discussion guides you can use with your team. It also offers some implementation concepts and tools and ways that your team can help to implement these principles effectively together. Um, So we're really excited about those things. But ultimately, you know, I, I am passionate about this this stuff because I believe in it because I've seen it work for me and others. So, um, you know, if, if you're hitting those barriers that we talk about for extreme ownership, uh, you know, go reread the book and start really cultivating that mindset. Cause I, I promise you, it really is the magic and it, and it can have an incredible impact in your life. And so for the women leaders that folks on here want to connect with women's assembly, they would go to echelonfront.com. And there's a tab under there of Women's Assembly where they can register. Yeah. And what's so cool about the Women's Assembly is that we have some incredible guests that come and join us. So really good perspectives to add. Um, but we know women are busy. And so we, if you register for the Women's Assembly, you can join us live for those sessions that we run every month. And if you can't join live, you get the video within 24 hours that you can watch at your convenience. So um, we do our best to make it available. We have, I think that I think we're up to about 3,400 women in that platform, um, which is incredible, uh, incredible group of women to, to, to have a part of that um, network. Well, thanks for spending time with us. It was great to uh, talk with you. I uh, really enjoyed it. I know the uh, group here got a lot from it and look forward to seeing more of the work that you continue to do. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it.